The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents. To find out more about this talk show or other talk shows broadcasting on KUCI, log on to our website at KUCI.org or check out the latest program guide. Good morning. You're listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine, California, streaming online at KUCI.org and podcasting on iTunes. Welcome to Privacy Piracy. I'm Lloyd, the show's engineer. We've enjoyed being in this show since 2005. Your host is Marty Frank, a local attorney since 1985. She's a certified information privacy professional. Mari's testified many times on privacy issues in Congress and the California legislature. You may have seen her on Dateline, 48 Hours, CNN, NBC, The O'Reilly Factor, and many more shows, including her own 90-minute PBS television special, Protecting Yourself in the Information Age. To learn more about this radio show and our great guests, please visit KUCI.org slash privacypiracy. All right, what's our show about this morning? Well, Lloyd, today our show is about the GAO, the Government Accounting Office, and they do wonderful work. I love to read all of their uh, reports and their investigations, and we have a fabulous guest with us today coming from D.C., uh, and that is Lawrence Evans, and he is the director in the Financial Markets Group at the Government Accountability Office, and he directs a body of work aimed at strengthening the safety, competitiveness, efficiency, and the integrity of the U.S. financial system. Very important. Recent work completed under his leadership includes an assessment of the fintech industry, the Identity Theft Protection Services, and cyber tax on banks. He has testified before Congress on a number of issues related to the conduct of large, complex financial institutions, and he represents the GAO on the Intose Working Group on Anti-Corruption and Money Laundering. In his prior roles, he served as a lead economist in GAO's Applied Research and Methods and taught courses at various institutions on money and banking. Also, financial crises and echometrics. Uh, Lawrence received his Ph.D. in economics from the University of Massachusetts Amherst and his B.A. from Colgate University. And we are just so thrilled to have you join us this morning, Lawrence. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Well, I'll tell you, I have always been impressed with the GAO office reports because they they seem nonpartisan. They seem very honest and genuine. And, um, and the same goes through. In fact, I was reading the two seven, 2017 report when I thought, we have to get you on the show. So thank you so much for joining us. Yes, yes, thank you. Well, tell, tell my audience a little bit about the GAO and about this new study that you did. Yes, so we are an independent agency in the legislative branch of the government. We're known as the Congressional Watchdog or the Investigative Arm of Congress. And we examine how tax dollars are spent and how the government uh, conducts its operations. And we help lawmakers and agency heads uh, think about ways to make government work better. Uh, and help uh, Congress make informed policy decisions. And that's what led us to this study here, is that this was a request uh, from Congress about the services that individuals are steered toward when they have their personal information breached. And as you know, there have been many entities that have been breached, Home Depot, Target, 
and the OPM data breach impacted 21, 22.1 million people, I believe. Right, right. And we hear about them, you know, oh, ever since 2005 when we heard about ChoicePoint, the first one. So, yeah, we're talking about millions and millions of people. You know, I sit on the um, Consumer Federation of America has uh, put together best practices for identity theft protection services. And I don't know, you know, uh, if... if you were talking with them about it, but there we have put together best practices because there were so many um, misrepresentations of what these services can do. So I want to leave that up to you, but I, I just have been very involved in, in looking at all these different services myself, so I thought it was fascinating. Great. So, That's important work. Yeah, so so tell us a little bit about the various, oh gosh, the, you've got everything from LifeLock, which they are no longer a member of our best services, um, to the, the, you know Experian, Equifax, ID Watchdog, all of these different kinds of services. So let's talk about what they do. That's right. So um, now, as you know, that these, these services are market, marketed to consumers and institutions, as tools that um, can help guard against uh, <clears throat> identity theft. You, now, you notice that we use the term identity theft services, right. not identity theft protection services. Right, 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 right. That's what they call themselves, though. <laughs> don't, don't, we don't want to lull people in the false. Right, right, right. Um, so typically what you get is a um, assortment of of services. They're usually offered as a package. And the package includes things like credit monitoring, what they'll call identity monitoring, um, identity restoration, and then you've got identity theft insurance. Mm -hmm. Right, right. So um, let's talk a little bit so people understand exactly what credit monitoring does and what it does not do. Right, right. So credit monitoring uh, aims to alert you when there's a change in your credit report. And it does this by monitoring your credit report, and if a new account is created, you'll be alerted. Now, um, it's effective. It, it, it can help detect new account fraud. But at best, it detects it and alerts. It doesn't prevent, right? Right. Um, and you have some free and low-cost alternatives um, that can actually prevent fraud. And by the way, contrary to popular myth, credit monitoring does not alert you to uh, existing account fraud. So if someone gets your credit card number and uses it, um, credit monitoring is, is not going to help you in that case. Right, and I think another thing we want to add, and I know that you know this, but I'm not sure my audience knows this, this only deals with credit card fraud or loan fraud. It does not deal with bank account fraud. It does not deal with medical identity theft unless there are um, new uh, collection accounts that appear in your credit report. It doesn't, it doesn't include... Um, criminal identity theft, you wouldn't know about that. So it's really just if somebody has issued credit to you or if there's a collection account somewhere. It doesn't even include utilities because until it goes to collections. So it doesn't do as much as people think it does, right? That's right. You, you, you've nailed it, right? Yep. One of the, the big things is, you know, tax refund fraud, right? Right. So that's not going, credit monitoring is not going to do anything. And again, it's not going to protect you at all because all, all it will do is alert you to do something, and that something is put a fraud alert or a credit freeze on your uh, account. 
Right, right. But if there, if if you do get an email that says, "Hey, uh, you know, there was an inquiry," meaning that someone tried to, you know, open an account, at least you can get early intervention. I mean, that that's the one positive. But that's right. Yeah. So I mean, it isn't it isn't that it doesn't do anything, but it surely doesn't do a lot of the things that people think that it does, right? Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> So, um, and let's talk a little bit about the identity monitoring. Um, w- what exactly did you find that is, and how helpful is that? Yeah, good question. Um, so, it's an interesting product. Um, it it, it claims track your personal data on sources like uh, public records or illicit websites. You know where criminals might go to purchase information. So, it's going to sc- it purports to scan for information in inappropriate uh, places. So, you know, if that is effective, it can alert you when your identity appears on things like arrest records or on the dark web, right? Right. Those do their, do their uh, illicit activity. But, how, the, you know, the effectiveness is actually unclear. It's not clear how much risk consumers even face when their personal information has been found on a black market uh, website. And then it also, the effectiveness is going to depend on the actual... Um, institution, right? Right. Capacity do they have? You know, how many databases are they actually scanning, right? Right. And and then even even there, just like in credit monitoring, it's not going to help you on debit or, or check card fraud, tax refund fraud, medical identity theft. Those things are typically not monitored. So again, and, and there's been no studies to actually assess the effectiveness stuff at all. So why interesting, intriguing, and potentially helpful. Um, we had no findings related to the effectiveness. Yeah, yeah. And I think there's, you know what I do all the time is I, I put my name into Google and I look for Google alerts with my name to see if it comes up anywhere. But, mm-hmm. um, you know, the, the thing that I've found that people end up calling me because, you know, I've I've been, years ago I was a victim and I testified in Congress on 18 U.S.C. 1028 and I wrote the California legislation on identity theft and I've been dealing with victims since since 1998. I was a victim in 1996. And, um, you know, I, I got to tell you that um, it, it's it's pretty crazy for, for victims. And this identity monitoring, they'll, people will grab at anything to think that, you know, if they can help themselves to protect themselves. But, that's right, that's right. But the, but, the, but the problem is, is that they'll go to some of these companies and let's say the company will find out that they are a victim of criminal identity theft and then they really don't help them anyway. Yeah. That's yeah. that's a problem when once you do find it, you know, because it's pretty overwhelming to go in try did you find that at all? Uh, I mean, how far did you get into that with criminal identity theft because that's about the hardest one besides medical identity theft to clear up, you know? Yeah, 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 we discussed them but only at a high level and I think we'll do some follow-up work to look at some of the other pervasive issues when you're you face when your identity is stolen. Yeah, because when you get criminal identity theft, 
you know, now you're seeing, you're coming up on different databases, and and I know in California, for example, um, the databases have the social security number. So if somebody's arrested and they give my social security number or your social security number in California, then that sticks with your name. But if you're convicted, you have fingerprints, right? right. So so you should, and that's what goes into the NCIC, which is the, you know, the national database for, um, you know, for the FBI and everything. But the problem is, is that the background checkers still use the social security number. Mm-hmm. So even though my fingerprints are not the same as the criminal that used my identity, I'm still associated with it. So that's a, that's a huge problem, you know? Yeah, yeah. And I expect we'll be doing some follow-up work in this, in this very area. Yeah, and I could tell you a bunch of victims, by the way, if you need them <laughs> to talk to. <laughs> we, we may uh, take you up on that offer. <laughs> Right. So so we don't know how effective this identity monitoring is anyway, right? And right. and I think, you know, it is hard for individuals to do this, so they they're willing to pay right. for this prop yeah, it's hard to do it. So this is the one you can't it's difficult to do, right? You don't the average person doesn't have access to the poor or the dark web and so they're not going to be familiar with how to investigate these dark web websites where criminals congregate right right, right. So and and even even if you do a background check on yourself for other things um it's still going to be tough because the databases really are not like cre- credit reporting agencies so the data may be a mess i've seen like background checks on me and there were people they said that i was family with that i don't even know you know Right, right. So it's crazy. Yeah. This whole thing with the identity being linked to a social security number has, has become extremely problematic. And so expect some more GAO work on that issue. Yeah. So what? Um, let's talk a little bit about identity theft insurance and what, what you guys found in your report. So, you know, when people hear that word, right, and they think, oh, it's going to cover a lot. <laughs> it turns out it doesn't cover much. Right. It really should be called... Identity theft restoration services, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Cover the direct losses you faced as an identity theft victim if, if you lost money. Instead, um, the insurance reimburses customers for out-of-pocket expenses they occur related to the process of restoring your identity. Right. right? So that's like the postage, photocopy, and notary fees, the cost of obtaining your credit report, replacing documents, maybe travel costs or child care expenses, uh-huh, uh-huh. perhaps lost wages, and in some cases, limited attorney fees, right? So that's the, that's the, that's the stuff that they're going to cover, um, and that's on average $260 or, you know, in the average case. Of course, you can have significant expenses um, related to uh, restoring your, your identity, but on average, we're talking about $260 based on what we what, what we found. Yeah, just out-of-pocket costs, but that doesn't include all the time and the telephone calls and writing the letters right. and, and dealing with people and, and, you know, trying to talk somebody into realizing it's not you, you aren't the one. <laughs> Or how to change your medical record when somebody used your insurance and it's not you. So it, that, in, in terms of hours lost 
Mm-hmm. You know, it can be literally hundreds of hours or thousands of hours, depending on the situation. That's right. And insurance is not covering that. No, no. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay, so what what should victims do if if they're not enrolled in an identity theft service? You know, this is the kind of thing that... They say, well, uh, you know, well, I guess let me ask this first of all. If they're enrolled in an identity theft service, what can they count on to do to help them to remedy themselves? What did you find on that? Yeah, yeah, that's a very good question. I think it's, you know, um, first of all, it's not clear that these identity theft services are the best option. In fact, if you if you are a victim of ID theft, you are likely better off availing yourself of the many free and low cost alternatives that can actually protect you against further fraud. Mm-hmm. Um, so that would be a fraud alert or extended fraud alert, which is free. We can talk about those in a moment. A credit freeze, you know, logging on to ftc.gov and, and downloading their checklist of the things you should do to. Uh, Restore your identity. Right. The things that you, you you should do. Right. Right. So let's let's talk about the difference, so people understand the difference between a fraud alert, the extended fraud alert, and the credit freeze. Okay. Great. So a fraud alert is um, something that is going to make it a lot harder for identity theft to open accounts in your name because there's an additional verification step that needs to be performed. So you call one of the credit bureaus, you tell them you want to place a fraud alert um, on your account or you do it online, and once you do it at one credit uh, bureau, they will alert the others, right? And this is free. Right. Uh, Although you do have to renew it every 90 days. Yes. However... If you are an identity theft victim, right, you have a police report, you have documentation, you can get an extended fraud alert for free, and that lasts up to seven years. Right, right. but you have to do that in writing, and you have to um, provide the, uh, like, a lot of information, which is not a big deal. You know, your police report or your identity theft report and your affidavit from the Federal Trade Commission and, you know, proof of your identity, such as your... uh, either a passport or a driver's license, something. So it's not overwhelming to do that, to get that extended fraud alert. When you put the fraud alert on, I just want to tell people to remember that when it's, you can put this alert that says, you know, uh, someone has used my name or my social security number without my permission. Uh, Don't issue credit without calling me first at this number. I would suggest even if you have a home or business number, do not use that. Use your cell phone, your mobile phone, so that if somebody is trying to open up credit, they can call you right away, anytime, any day. So always use your mobile home phone, your m- mobile number, to um, to get that fraud alert. Because what if you really do want to buy a car <laughs> and they and they can't get a hold of you? You won't be able to get the car unless they call you. So that's, that's right. That's an important one. Right. So that's the fraud alert and the extended fraud alert. And right. You can go DEFCON 7 if you really want to shut things down, and you go to a credit freeze, or as you folks in California call it a security freeze, right? Right. That, that restricts uh, potential creditors from even accessing your credit file 
until you ask the credit reporting company to remove or temporarily lift the freeze, right? And that, that is free or low cost. Um, if you're a victim. If, uh, if you're a victim. In some states, by the way, yes. it is free even if you're not a victim. North right. South Carolina. Um, I think in your state, California, if you're over 65. Yes, yes. Um, but typically it's free if, if you are identity theft victim, you're correct. Right, right, that, right. That can prevent new account fraud because creditors generally will not extend credit without first checking a uh, consumer's credit report. And so you have turned your credit off effectively. Yeah, and the only challenge with that is if you're in, if you're trying to get a new car or if you're trying to get a, a loan, a student loan or a house or something like that, you're going to have to thaw out your, your freeze by writing to the credit bureaus and depending on the state, it's going to take either a day or more or, you know, it may take time to get it off. So if you know that you have to buy a car or something in the near future, you know, you might want to do the extended fraud alert and save the freeze for after you get what you need because uh, it's a problem. Even if you're um, applying for a new job and that new job, um, they need to get your credit report. Let's say you're going to be dealing with as a bank with a bank or something. You're going to be doing work with a the bank. They have an entitled to get your credit report, and they won't be able to get it either. So that's right, right. Yeah. You, you get a pen. You have to enter that pen, and it can take as much as three days to right, right get your credit thawed out. Yeah. Right, but I mean, it's good if you if the if your uh, identity fraud fraudster is relentless. <laughs> you know, that's that's good. Let's talk a little bit about synthetic ident identity theft because that one has been really sneaky and I've seen it with people all the time. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And the federal government has identified this as an emerging trend. And we have some ongoing work on synthetic identity uh, fraud. And uh, so we're, we're going to have a report on that sometime in the future, so hopefully I can talk to you. Mm -hmm. But let's explain how, how it works. Yeah, so this involves uh, the creation of a fictitious identity, typically by using a combination of real data um, from multiple individuals and some fabricated data. So I might take your Social Security number, combine it with my boss's name, and then another person's address. All of a sudden, I have this new identity. Right. Now, it's going to appear at the credit bureau as a subfile. So it's not linked to the customer's main credit file um, and not typically included in the customer's credit report. Right. So um, the losses don't necessarily impact the individual. They're often borne by affected financial institutions, right? Um I got to tell you, though, I have dealt with many victims of, of synthetic identity theft, and the, um, the account appears on the person whose social security number it is. That's the person that gets hurt the most. If somebody uses my name but they don't use my social, that won't go on my, my credit report. But if someone uses my social and not my name, it does appear in my credit report. And I just dealt with a, a woman just recently. She had no idea about this American Express. It was her social with her sister's name. It wasn't her sister who committed the identity theft. And then another person used one name and used my client's uh, social, and it appeared on my client's credit report. 
Very interesting. Yep, that's it's usually that's my experience is it always goes back to the social. So let me ask. Um, now, was it like a, a, a rigorous background check that would get the sub files as well, or was it on the top? No, it was right on the regular credit report. Right on the re- I saw it. It was right on the credit report, and then we called and we said to it was uh, it happened to have been American Express, and they're pretty good. They're one of the better companies. So we talked to them and said, "Wait a minute, this is her social. This is not her name." And then we went through this whole thing and we figured out what it was. And they finally, after letters and letters, they removed it from her credit report. But it was it was you know in arrears and it was causing her credit score to really plummet yeah it's always it's always the person whose social it is the same thing even with criminal identity theft it's always the social even if a name is different it's the social that that really is the key to the kingdom and it's the key to the you know to all of the troubles too yeah any synthetic identity um fraudsters like to target elderly yeah. And children. Yeah. Right. And so it can impact children when they come of age and they they want to start a you know a credit history. So you know, but yep. so that but you know it, so it's a, it's a growing trend and it's something that you know it's hard to hard to guard against. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I I think the credit bureaus really are in the best position to say does this social match this name and if it doesn't they should notify the person whose social it is and said have you used this name that would be so easy because if somebody did that to me i'd say no that's not my name i never used that name you know yeah because they're the ones that have the information the victim doesn't have the information it's the credit bureaus who have the information right yeah, it's 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 a it's an issue we're we're looking at and great death. So yeah, now your report also noted that um, many companies who experience data breaches offer customers that free credit monitoring, and um, and even when that's that credit monitoring wouldn't do anything to help them with the type of breach it was. So for example, right. if um if my medical record is breached. And my health insurance number is breach of my social, but there wasn't any credit issue, but they offered me credit monitoring. How is that going to help me? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you, you put your finger on an issue that we pointed out in the report. Yeah. You know, the offering of these services doesn't always align with, with the risk, you know, and especially in the private sector. Um, the, the breach entity wants to demonstrate a concern for customers. Right. So they want to offer something, right? Right. Or they, or they want to minimize litigation risk. Right. Take yourself from lawsuits, you offer this. Right. All of a sudden, a couple of people have done it, it becomes industry practice, and others will do it just to conform with the industry practice. Right. So unfortunately, um, these factors seem to have led to these identity theft services becoming the default option. Right. We may have, com- we may have converged on a suboptimal solution for breach victims, but um, that's something <laughs> to consider when you actually think about these services. Yeah, you know, on our task force with the Consumer Federation of America, we talked about that issue of that the um, the credit monitoring or the uh, identity theft services uh, companies should notify 
the uh, the victims or the potential victims of exactly what this will and will not do. Right. And and that was one of the best practices that we had discussed, but it's not law, and so who knows if it's done or not, you know? It's, uh, it's not there. Okay. Yeah. So we only have time for one more question, but um, so... Um, when um, in 2015, when it was discovered, you know that highly sensitive data involving 22 million people had been stolen from the government office of personnel management. Um, can you just tell us a couple things that the government did to try and deal with this? Yeah, OPM followed the standard playbook, which was to offer defense <laughs> services to, to victims of the breach, including those who lost fingerprints. Right. And o- OPM didn't document how it chose um, <laughs> this um, solution. Um, so it's hard to know how the decision to spend $240 million was made without speculating. Oh, my goodness. So so with these great reports, which I have seen over the years, like what's going to happen with this one? Will, is Congress going to maybe take some action? Is that the intent that they read the report and maybe offer legislation? Is that the intent? That's right. We offer some recommendations to OMB and OPM about responding to breaches, and we um, had a matter for congressional consideration because we were concerned about over-insuring Right. We certainly, I just told you that, you know, the cost to restore your identity on average is $260. You know, we don't need $5 million in coverage. That might not be... Uh, right. Unless they were really going to um, take care of all the situation and reimburse them for their hours lost right. and their time. Yeah. It's true. Yeah. Um, and, yeah. You know, insurance. Well, this is great. Will you just give the website where people can find this report so they can read it? It's wonderful. It's like 70 pages, but it's well worth reading. Yes, Myra. You can find this report uh, at www.gao.gov. You are wonderful. Well, please stay in touch, and if you want to talk to me more about this kind of stuff, because I deal with victims all the time, I'm I'm be thrilled to talk with you, Lawrence. You are doing a great job over there, and uh, Lawrence Evans, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Mari. You've been listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine and KUCI.org. The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents.